All right, today we're starting a new series called Meals with Jesus, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited about this. It's going to be a fun, fun, uh, uh, fun, you know, you're like, of course you're going to love it, you know? <laughs> Chips and salsa for everybody, right? So, <clears throat> you know, over the years, my idea uh, and interest have changed, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, what do you want to do on a Friday night, you know, is different today than it was 25 years ago, right? Uh, I used to like going to late night movies or, or going over to a friend's house and playing cards till midnight and things like that. And uh, now my wife and I have to have a big conversation before we agree to go to a movie that starts after seven. <laughs> She's like, I don't know, you know, it's getting kind of late. I'm not sure we can stay awake for the whole thing. You know, today when people ask me, what do I like to do for fun? Uh, my answer is simple. I like to go out to eat. <clears throat> That's my favorite pastime. That's my hobby. If going out to eat was a sport, I'd be a professional athlete. You know, That's <laughs> uh, just what I enjoy doing. Uh, do I like golf and fishing and pickleball? Yeah, I can do all of those things, but you ask me what I really like to do. I like to go out to eat. Uh, that's what I enjoy. Um, but it's not just about the good food. Uh, I mean, obviously, I appreciate a good salad. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's the whole experience. Uh, I like trying new restaurants. I like the creative atmosphere that uh, restaurants have. I like live entertainment on special occasions. I like a quiet, classy, uh, intimate environment. Uh, I appreciate good food and excellent service. But on top of that, what I really enjoy is the good company that happens over the dinner table. Uh, my favorite person I have dinner with is my wife of 31 years. Karen and I have shared thousands of meals together, and yet every single night we have plenty of great conversation over the dinner table. We also enjoy sharing dinner with other couples. Uh, we enjoy having dinner together as a family. We love telling stories and learning new things and uh, just uh, being together. Uh, our family has uh, had a meal time between 5.30 and 6 uh, every night for since, you know, since we were married, because that was just something that we committed to, that we were going to have family dinner together. And so it's all my kids have ever known. Now there's 14 of us around the dinner table uh, when we have all the grandkids. But here's what I, here's, here's the thing. When it's just Karen and I, and it's just the two of us, we still set the table and we sit down at the kitchen table and have dinner together. Meal times, family dinner times have gone the way of the dinosaur in America today. And uh, I feel that family mealtimes are very important. Good conversation happens over mealtime. Great memories are made. Funny stories happen uh, around. I, I could tell you some funny stories have happened in our family that happened right around the dinner table. It's a great time to discuss uh, family issues. Uh, when the kids are younger, you know, teaching Bible stories and asking them to share memory verses and things like that. It's a great way for kids to learn good manners and life skills and good habits. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, you'll begin to discover, and that's the whole impetus behind this sermon series, is the fact that Jesus liked to eat and drink. Uh, and in fact, quite a bit. So much so that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I want to go on record saying that nowhere do we read that Jesus ever ate too much or drank too much. It was just the fact that it was customary for Jesus to eat and drink with sinners and saints alike. 
He was constantly sharing meals with his disciples, with religious leaders, but also with the outcasts of society. Uh, oftentimes it was over meals where Jesus engaged with uh, other people. Uh, when he would uh, you know, talk to those that others wouldn't even talk to. But here's what we know. When people had a meal with Jesus, they left changed. And so in this series, I want you to discover the blessing that God provides when we embrace hospitality, when we embrace this idea of sitting down together as family or with other people to share a meal together and, and the good things that happen. So I want to challenge you to open up your lives to others around the table. Uh, I want to challenge you to get into the habit of being intentional with your meal times and not make it just something, oh, we just eat, you know, and everybody does their own thing. I want you to be intentional in your meal times, especially those with families, and establish some rules. No phones, no screens, no, no games, no newspapers, uh, nothing like that. It's the meal and we talk around the dinner table because the whole mealtime experience is about so much more than food. It's about developing strong family relationships. Hey, it can be, it can be about negotiating business. I, you know, I'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I want you to recognize the value of this time. So many times we just kind of breeze through it and don't realize the fact that we've missed an opportunity to have a powerful conversation, to make some impactful discussions, to change some lives over the dinner table. So in our, in our scripture study today, we're going to read about a meal that Jesus shared with Levi. Levi, uh, his name was, he was also called Matthew, and, and Jesus called Levi, changed his name to Matthew, and he wrote, you know, book of the Bible, but he was one of the, the uh, disciples of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 27. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we do want to learn about Jesus. Uh, not only in how, what, what he said, but Lord, also in how he lived his life. Uh, God, I believe that there's so much that we can learn when we just study what he did, how he interacted with people. And uh, so, Lord, I pray that as we study the life of Jesus, and specifically in this series, as we look at uh, the conversations that occurred over meals in the Bible. Uh, God, that you would help us to see how, how we can learn some things, how we, could, we, we, we should leverage these opportunities to grow and learn and share and, and disciple and reach out to others. Uh, so Father, we pray that as we study your word today, God, that you speak through me. Lord, these good folks have come to hear from you today, not from me. So may I just fade into the background and God, may something that's said or may your word just come through uh, in a way today that speaks to lives, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you begin to study the Bible and you begin to look at all the times that food, meals, and feasts, and festivals are mentioned in Scripture, you begin to realize that, that food is about more than just simple sustenance. Uh, God promised Moses that 
God's people would be rescued from slavery, that they would, they would be given a land that was flowing with what? Milk and honey, right? You had a little sugar, a little cocoa, you got a candy bar. This is a good thing here, you know? Why was the promised land called the land of milk and honey? Is there rivers of milk? Were the trees dripping with honey? No. Milk suggests the fact that it was a place where a lot of livestock and cattle could grow and that they, you know, the cattle would be able to be there and they'd be able to get milk from the cattle. The mention of honey suggests the fact that the vast farmland was available and there were plenty of bees to be able to uh, draw nectar from and who would pollinate. So really, the land of milk and honey, what it's saying is the fact that this was a land that was rich uh, with good food and good cattle and, and good crops. Again, it was a, a food reference here. Uh, we, we see... Uh, that God commanded Israel to remember his mercy, to remember his salvation, to remember his justice, to remember his promise through a meal called what? The Passover, right? You've heard of a Seder dinner. The traditional Passover meal includes a very specific readings from scripture and, and four different cups of wine and telling stories and eating special foods and singing special songs and other Passover traditions. Uh, later, the Lord established many other feasts and festivals for remembering who he is and what he has done for his people. The prophet Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 55, verse one through three. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. So we see here that these dinners, these festivals, these feasts, are a sign of a properly functioning life according to the ground rules of the Mosaic law. And I believe it was a foretaste of the paradise that you and I are going to experience in the age to come. Meals are a way of anticipating and experiencing what eternity is gonna be like. You know, one of the first things that, that we're going to experience after the rapture of the church is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I believe that this will be a feast unlike anything you and I have ever dreamt of. But when we get to the New Testament time, when we begin to see how Jesus did evangelism, how Jesus did discipleship, you're going to discover the fact that many times it involves some grilled fish and a loaf of bread and a pitcher of some beverage that we've been debating about for 2,000 years. <laughs> Eating and drinking are an important part of Jesus's life. They were, they were a sign of his friendship with tax collectors and sinners in the ministry of Jesus, meals were a time when he set an example of grace and community and of mission. Because meals were more than food, they were social occasions. They were times when friendships were built, where community happened, where hospitality was displayed. So in this brief series, I want you to stop overlooking this important daily event and recognize that mealtime is an important time. 
Now, the business world already knows this because many deals are brokered over the dinner table. According to uh, an article published in the Harvard Business Review, people who ate together while negotiating either the restaurant or the conference room where they brought food into the table created significantly increased profits compared to those who negotiated without dining. I mean, this is just a part of life in the business world that, that deals are done over dinner. In President Ronald Reagan's farewell address to our nation, he said this, and let me offer lesson number one about America. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. But the reality is in America today, in many families, mealtime has just become a free-for-all. Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. Everybody just finds their own meal. Kids go eat their dinner in their bedroom or they go sit in front of a TV. Or uh, Karen and I were out to dinner here you know, last week and, and we were just observing other families. And the, uh, your mom and dad and two kids who would sit down at the dinner table. And what was the first thing the kids did when they sat down at the dinner table? Anyone want to guess? They pulled out their phones and they never picked up their head. They never engaged in any kind of conversation. They sat there looking at their phone the whole time. The food came, they took it down, ate a little bit, and then right back to the phone. What an incredibly sad commentary. What a missed opportunity. I'm going to get very practical at the end of this uh, sermon today to to give you some, some rules because I just really feel strongly that we're missing an opportunity here around the dinner table to invest in our families, to to disciple our kids. So I want you to start making family dinner time a priority in your house. That's why I believe that Ronald Reagan's quote is so true. Why, Why does all great change happen at the dinner table? Because this is a time when one generation can share with another generation. It's a time when we can we can teach values and morals and principles and we can talk about important things. Don't just sit there and look at your phones. Leave the phones away from the dinner table. Turn the TV off. No newspapers, nothing to read. Look at each other, talk, and have a conversation. Meaningful dialogue, healthy discussion. Jesus modeled this for us, so we should just follow his example. The religious leaders of the day couldn't understand why Jesus spent so much time eating and drinking with lost people. They even asked him about it. Luke chapter five, verse 30 says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained, complained. There you go. You've got the religious leaders. They're complaining. You know, uh, even Jesus couldn't make them happy, right? Uh, Complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees couldn't understand why Jesus would share a meal with these low lives, with these scumbags of society. I mean, of all people, they should, he, you know, at least Jesus should be sharing a meal with us <clears throat> religious leaders. But no, he's out there with these, I mean, the, the, the scum of society. And he's out there having dinner. It looks like he's having a good time. I mean, they're eating and drinking and laughing and telling stories. What is going on here? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you why. Because I've come... <laughs> You know, uh, as a doctor to heal the sick, not those who don't think there's anything wrong with them. You see, healthy people don't think they need a doctor. So Jesus' critics here 
They thought that they were healthy. They thought that they were a-okay, that they were righteous, that they didn't need anything. But the people that Jesus was looking for were the people who clearly understood that they didn't do things right, that they were sinners, that they were the unrighteous. And Jesus said he came to reach out to them. You know, as a doctor, you kind of have to get up close and personal, you know, with somebody to help them, right? I mean, you're not, you're not going to phone it in, you know, you, you, you kind of get close to them. And that's what Jesus did. He got close with those who needed help, those who were sinners, those who were lost. Jesus was not beyond getting into the mud with those in society who were rough around the edges. He was willing to get his hands dirty, even if that meant sitting around a table with a bunch of guys who were probably questionable in their conduct and in their language. Now, don't read into this the fact that Jesus condoned their sin. I don't believe he condoned their sin. That's not it at all. He wasn't saying that by sitting with them that what they were doing was right. No, he was saying that by sitting with these people who weren't doing right, he had the opportunity to invest in them because he knew that they were spiritually sick. And it's the spiritually sick who realize they need healing. They're truly the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the ones who recognize the fact that they don't have their act all together and that they are lost. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they were blind to their neediness. They couldn't see the fact that they were the ones that were really in the wrong. They were the blind fools. If we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to have to get our hands a little dirty as well. Amen? We're going to have to reach out to the rejected and to the homeless and to the addicts and the prostitutes and the criminals and the afflicted and the diseased and the abused and the marginalized of society. We have to love the unlovable, dine with the undesirable, and befriend those who are forsaken by the world. Sometimes in our efforts to avoid getting dirty, we fail to reach the very people that Jesus sent us to reach, right? Because we don't want to hang around them. Because we might get a little dirty. Have you ever read the story of the Good Samaritan? You know? How are we going to extend the love of Christ to lost people if we constantly schedule them out of our lives? How are we going to be light in the midst of darkness if we only hang around the light? Right? I could turn a flashlight on in this room right now and it really wouldn't do much, would it? But if this room was all dark and I turned on a light, all of a sudden it makes a big difference. So many times we just hang with other Christians and we, we try to shine light in an already light environment. Jesus set an example for us because he spent time with lost people. He was comfortable sharing a meal. Not so much with the church crowd, but with the bar crowd. He'd hang out with people that the religious leaders like, what? what? What is he doing? Jesus didn't get drunk. He didn't tell coarse jokes. He didn't take part in the sin of the people he was hanging out with. He didn't condone their actions. Instead, he spent time with them so that he could teach them about himself, so he could point them to God, so he could, they could see the fact they need to repent of their sin, and they need to not take sin lightly. When Jesus spent time with them, his goal was to change their lives and to make a difference. 
as a pastor, um, I am usually surrounded by the church to crowd. So if I'm going to reach the unchurched crowd, I have to be intentional about getting into places and going places where lost people naturally congregate. When I was in Ohio, um, I joined the volunteer fire department uh, in, as a way to invest time in, with people who were part of the unchurched crowd. Um, that's why I think clubs and business groups and, and, and other social functions are a great way to meet lost people, to get involved in society so that you can share with them the truth. You don't have to participate in their sin in order to influence them. It's okay to be part of their crowd, but a little different. They should be able to see that you're different. When Jesus went to Matthew's feast, he broke all kinds of societal taboos. Blew the Pharisees' mind. I mean, their legalism, they were having a hard time wrapping their head around this. Jesus ate with sinners. And it showed the fact that he looked beyond culture and he looked to people's hearts because that was what was important. I think it's important for us too. You see, Jesus saw individuals, not just labels. He had compassion and he sought to meet the needs of people around him. I am, I am so excited about the Venture Cares mobile market and the opportunity we're going to have to reach thousands of families a month. And we're going to love them like you've never seen. You know, our, our, our statement is, you know, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. They are our honored guests. We are going to love all over them when they come to the mobile market and we just want to uh, care for them regardless of what they've you know, what they've done, how they come, what they look like, how they dress or anything like that. We just want to love on people. That's part of our evangelism. In fact, it's all of our evangelism strategy here at Venture. We, it's in two simple words, you know, how we, how we reach out to people, invest and invite. We invest in building relationships with lost people and we look for the opportunity to invite them into an experience where they'll hear the gospel and have the opportunity to respond in faith. That's how we do it. We don't, I mean, you don't have to take some, you know, 16-week course on evangelism. You don't have to memorize, you know, 300 verses. You don't have to memorize any kind of a, you know, prayer or anything like that. You invest in building relationships with lost people and then look for the opportunity to invite them to a, a conversation or a place or a service where they can hear the gospel and have the opportunity to respond. But here's what I know. If we, if we invite without first investing, we can come across as judgmental. We, we can come across as being holier than thou. We need to invest in building the relationships first so that we earn the right to be able to invite them into a relationship with Christ. So make some new friends, reach out to some new unchurched people, spend some time with sinners this week, all right? Some of you are like, yes! A, first thing I've heard him say, I've agreed with in a long time, you know? Jesus recognized it's not the healthy who need a doctor. What is going on here? This thing is about to give up the ghost. <laughs> Just a minute here. There we go. That would have been bad if this had all fallen over there. All right, so I want to give you some specific 
action steps. To, I told you it's going to get very practical here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you, and I especially kind of focus on families because I see that this is an area where many families are missing an opportunity here. So I'm going to get real specific and very practical with you uh, here and how to apply this this morning. First, make family dinner time a priority in your home. Make it a priority in your home. Have the conversation. I don't care if there's, you've got a, a house full of kids or if it's just you and your spouse. Make it a priority that we're going to have a set time and place that we sit down and have a meal together. Again, at our house, that's between 5.30 and 6 every night. Don't sit in the living room. Don't sit down and watch TV while you eat. Don't, I mean, just put your phones away. Don't touch them during mealtime. When the mealtime is done, clear off the table. I encourage you, use real dinnerware, glassware, and silverware. Actually have a meal, sit down, enjoy conversation and company around the table. Number two, establish some good practices for mealtime etiquette. Um, I mean, I just see, and kids just don't have a clue today how to have a dinner. They don't, they don't understand the right things to do. Nobody starts eating until everyone has been seated. It's like, you know, did that value fall away in the 1970s? What happened there? We sit down, we, sh we, we have grace, we say grace, and, and then we eat. No phones, no games, no screens, no television. It's time to communicate. You know, we had to tell our kids, the boys all have to wear a shirt to the dinner table, <laughs> right? You know, uh, you know, no hats at the dinner table. Uh, use your napkin, not your sleeve. Eat slowly, don't scarf your food down like a hyena. Um, when you're finished eating, stay seated and stay engaged in the conversation until you're excused. Thank the cook for a great meal. Help clean up the table. And in our family, it was a family, it was just, they loved it, drawing straws for dishes, right? <laughs> My three boys. I remember the first time, <laughs> Stephen, he's the sound man back here. You know, I said, all right, we're going to draw straws for who's doing dishes tonight. And, uh, you know. So I put all these things in there and, and he got to pull first and he pulled out the shortest straw and he's like, yes, like that's not how it works, son. <laughs> Drawing the short straw doesn't mean you're the winner. You know, he wasn't real happy about that, but he learned, he learned. Um, third, find ways for each person to join the conversation. You know, ask age appropriate questions, share stories, laugh. There can be a lot of fun around the dinner table. If your kids are out of the house, let me encourage you, don't get lazy. If it's just the two of you, follow the same rules. You know, don't just sit in front of a TV. If you live by yourself, I encourage you to reach out to others who also may be eating alone and invite them over to dinner or say, hey, you, let's go grab dinner some night and, 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 and put some effort into it. Why is this important? I believe we often underestimate the value of time spent around the dinner table. And we're gonna see through this series how many times Jesus taught, how many times Jesus gave some profound truth over a meal. And uh, we miss those opportunities. If you look throughout the Bible, you're gonna see all kinds of feasts and festivals that uh, were to be reminders of what God had done. Uh, you look at Jesus, he broke bread with many people throughout his ministry years. So I want you to see in this short series that your mealtimes are a great way to invest in other people.
know, we can learn a lot from what Jesus taught, but we can also learn a lot from the way Jesus lived. And oftentimes we just look at the words of Jesus and what he taught, but, but sometimes I think we need to st- step back and, and just look at the way he lived. Look at the way that he engaged with people. Look at the people that he spent time with. Look at how he lived his life. And, and you know, there are, there are a lot of lessons I think we can learn just by looking at how he lived his life, how he modeled, how he served how he lived. When I, earlier this year, you know, announced the fact that I had this idea for this this series, uh, Amanda uh, uh, thought, you know what, maybe I'll write a song uh, uh, for this series. And so Amanda has written a beautiful song, and it's going to be the uh, final song that we sing today. Uh, right after I pray, we'll stand and sing this new song, and, uh, you know, hopefully it will uh, bless your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we can learn so much by looking at the life of Jesus, not just in what he said, but how he lived. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to follow in his footsteps. That God, that our heart would be such that we would care for lost people and that we'd be willing to associate with sinners because they need the truth. They need to hear about Jesus. So Lord, I pray that uh, maybe this morning there's some families here today that realize that they've been missing an opportunity. God, I pray that I pray that they wouldn't just let this message fall on their ears and then fall right back out. But God, that instead they would go home and make some decisions. You know what? In our family, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna make some changes. We're gonna do some things differently, starting this week. And uh, so, God, I just pray that you'd uh, help us to. Live the life that Jesus set for us and the the example that he set. May we just follow uh, in his footsteps. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Let's all stand as we sing our final song this morning.